On our last group of podcasts, we tackled antidepressants. Today, we're going to start the topic of atypical antipsychotics. We have Dr. Amazetta Clark here with us today. She has recently graduated from the ECU Internal Medicine Psychiatry Residency Program. So, Dr. Clark, please tell us a little bit about atypical antipsychotics and our medication today, clozapine. Thank you, Dr. Gooding, for having me. So we're going to first dive in with a little history uh, before we get going. So antipsychotics were first discovered in the 1950s for the treatment of schizophrenia. They have since revolutionized how we treat our patients. Initially, there was evidence that pointed towards mainly dopamine 2 receptor antagonism as a main treatment for the psychotic symptoms. But as we've kind of evolved and continued research, we found that the illness is not as simple as that and that there's really a complex interaction of neurotransmitters that lead to the unique pathophysiology of schizophrenia. So from this, we move to first to typical antipsychotics and then to atypical antipsychotics, which have a higher ratio of other receptor blockades besides the D2. Atypical antipsychotics were first discovered in 1956 with clozapine. And just as a reference, the first antipsychotic ever discovered for schizophrenia was in 1951. It was chlorpromazine. So tell us a little bit about the pharmacokinetics of clozapine. So clozapine, as we mentioned in the beginning, is classified as an atypical antipsychotic. This is due to its affinity to bind to multiple dopamine receptors, and its effect on the associated behavior contrasts those of typical antipsychotics such as Haldol. Clozapine binds to multiple dopamine receptors including D1, D2, D3, D4, and D5. The highest affinity is to the D4 receptor, and the lowest affinity is to D2, again, which makes it very different than the typical antipsychotics. One of the most pertinent aspects of clozapine is that it does not cause catalepsy, nor does it inhibit the apomorphine-induced stereotypy. We now know that clozapine is more active in the limbic system and that the striatal dopamine receptors, as other antipsychotics, which leads to the rare extrapyramidal side effects, does not really occur in clozapine. Clozapine is also 97% protein-bound. However, it's important to note that Interactions with other highly protein-bound medications tend to not affect it, but it hasn't been studied that much. Uh, in addition, clozaril has affinity for adrenergic, chlorinergic, histaminergic, and serotonergic receptors. So I'm going to go through each of these a little bit and just show how they play into the side effects. So serotonergic, it antagonizes 5-HT2A and 5-HT2C. So 5-HT2A in the periphery mediates the contractility response of vascular smooth muscle, and that's included in the GI tract, which is one of the reasons why we might have some GI symptoms from clozapine. 5-H2C antagonist increases the dopamine release in the frontal cortex, nucleus accumbens, and striatum. Um, there may be some contribution to weight gain also from the 5-HT2C as well. Adrenergic is the alpha-1 receptor, and that's responsible for the orthostatic hypotension. Histamine, H1 receptor, is responsible for some of the sedation. And then the muscarinic M1 receptor antagonist reduces activation of the parasympathetic system, and it's responsible for the difficulty urinating, the dry mouth and skin, and constipation. So how is clozapine metabolized? So clozapine is actually extensively metabolized prior to excretion, and there's actually only trace amounts that are found in the urine and feces. 
the half-life of clozapine when you start the initial dosing is about eight hours. After you get to steady state, it reaches 12 hours, which was why we do the BID dosing um, for maintenance. Clozapine's levels uh, are not affected by food, and so it's important to know that you can administer it with or without food. Are there any other unique properties of clozapine? Dr. Gooding, I'm glad you asked. Clozapine has two active metabolites, so clozapine N-oxide, CNO, and N-desmethyloxapine, NDC, which exhibit neuroprotective anti-inflammatory properties. This is one of the uh, unique features of clozapine. It has also been noted that patients with schizophrenia have lower levels of all trans retinoid acid, and clozapine and its metabolites potentially inhibit RA catabolism, which subsequently would lead to increased levels of all trans RA. Lastly, clozapil is also thought to increase gabinergic neuroactive steroids, which is known to have anxiolytic and antidepressant properties, furthering the reason why clozapine is our most effective antipsychotic medication. And as you know, Dr. Gooding, a lot of the studies show that if we treat schizophrenics with antidepressants like SSRIs and SNRIs, they have functional improvement. Okay. So given all of that, what exactly is clozapine FDA approved for? That is a good question. So clozapine is approved for treatment-resistant schizophrenia. And this is, again, because of all the side effects that we will go into a little bit more detail. So it's reserved for patients who have failed to respond adequately to treatment with appropriate courses of standard medication. It's recommended that they've given at least two adequate trials of the approved schizophrenic medication, as well as this being at adequate doses and adequate duration. Besides that, it is also FDA approved for reduction in the risk of recurrent suicidal behavior in schizophrenics and schizoaffective disorder patients. That is based on a study called the INTERCEPT trial, and it recommends continuing that treatment for up to two years if you are going to be using it for the reduction in suicide risk. It had about 950 patients, and it compared clozapine and Zyprexa. Uh, It showed the results was it looked at completed suicide, secondary hospitalizations due to imminent suicide risk, and significant suicide attempts. And the results was 24% in clozapine and 32% in Zyprexa, Uh, so obviously a a less in the clozapine group. I did want to note that 27 of the participants were deemed resistant to schizophrenics. So as I just said, the FDA reason for clozapine is to be (laughs) resistant. However, a majority of these patients were not. So that needs to be kept in mind. And then 71% of them were actually white compared to other ethnicities. Okay. So clozapine is FDA approved for treatment-resistant schizophrenia and recurrent suicidal behavior in patients with schizophrenia-related disorders. Okay. But is there anything else that clozapine is used for that perhaps is not FDA approved but still shows some potential benefits? So... This is a discussion on almost all antipsychotics, but in regards to dementia-related psychosis, there were several studies that looked at the increased risk of mortality compared to placebo and dementia-related psychosis treated with atypical antipsychotics in particular. This beginning warning actually started with an increased risk in cerebrovascular events from risperidone versus placebo, and that was in 2003. And then subsequent warnings kind of came out, again, for all atypical antipsychotics, uh, olanzapine, aripiprazole, they all had similar cerebrovascular black box warnings. Um, However, there is always a discussion about atypical and typical antipsychotics, so you possibly could use it for that. 
There was also some discussion about aggression or sexual inappropriate behaviors and those type of symptoms that could be used, but these are all FDA, non-FDA approved recommendations. Okay. And earlier you touched on all the different receptors that clozapine affects. So given all that, what are the major side effects you can expect patient is put on clozapine? And then how do you manage those side effects? So this is actually a pretty long list, again, because of all the receptors that it does hit, and one of the reasons why it wasn't widely used when it was first discovered. So the most well-known is agranulocytosis, which is why we have the monitoring system in place, REMS. And so in order to prescribe clozapine, you actually must complete this online course. You must register your patients. And then before you can give them it, you normally get a white blood cell count and an ANC on them. And then the monitoring continues, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. So again, agranulocytosis is one of the biggest and most concerning side effects that we have. The other ones that come up are myocarditis and It has been pretty variable when you look at the data. There was anywhere between 17 to 322 times higher than the general population compared to clozapine-treated patients. Fatal myocarditis was estimated to be 14 to 161 times higher. Again, that's a pretty, pretty wide range, but there is an increased risk. Significant increased fatal side effects mainly came, I guess, symptom-wise. You would want to look for fatigue, chest pain, dyspnea, tachycardia, palpitations, and these generally occurred in the first month, so it's always important to look out for that when you're initiating someone on that. If a patient ever experiences myocarditis, they should not be rechallenged with clozapine. Another significant one is seizures, and it was noted to occur in up to 5% of patients and appears to be dose-related to the higher doses that you give. So the higher you are, the more likely chance you are to have a seizure. Patients with a history of seizures or epilepsy should be monitored closely for exacerbations. It's not necessarily a complete contraindication, but you would need to, obviously, risk and benefit discussion would need to be had. Um, Orthostatic hypotension, as I mentioned before with the alpha receptors, is well known, and it's been uh, linked to the initiation and rapid escalation of the medication, which we tend to not do. If patients have missed a dose, even for two days, it's always recommended to reinitiate with 12.5 day, and then you go up to BID dosing, and this is for really any of the, you can get any of the side effects if you just start back at where they were. Well known to many antipsychotics is hyperglycemia and diabetes mellitus. So these, again, with typical and atypical, it has to be monitored. So it's encouraged to monitor both metabolic dysregulation with lipid panels as well as hemoglobin A1C. And then if patients have elevated lipid or glucose intolerance, then you have to kind of have the discussion about lifestyle modifications. And then if medication is needed, you know, we can, you can do statins or uh, any diabetic medication or metformin. And sometimes metformin is even started prophylactically if they have established risk factors and are starting on that path. The anticholinergic effects includes eyes and therefore should be cautioned when people have any narrow angle glaucoma or anything like that. It's not recommended to have any eye exam prior to initiation of clozapine, but again, this is something in if they're older patients or anything like that that you should be aware of. In the GI tract, it can cause in significant impairment in the intestinal peristalsis, leading to ileus, fecal impaction, and even can lead to like a toxic megacolon. So it's recommended to start people on prophylactic GI bowel regimens, 
and also monitor very closely their bowel habits to make sure. And then extrapyramidal side effects, I would say, are very, very rare. It's one of the potentials of it. So how does the efficacy of clozapine compare to the other atypical antipsychotics? So the efficacy of clozapine, again, this is our most efficacious medication. And the reason why we don't use it all the time is because of the side effects. But in general, this is much more efficacious than all of our other ones that we have. And are there any absolute contraindications to using clozapine? So if anyone's had a previous hypersensitive reaction, it's contraindicated. If they have a myeloproliferative disorder, epilepsy, uncontrolled epilepsy, again, if they've had just one seizure, you can have the discussion. If they've ever had a toxic megacolon, and then if they've had significant agranulocytosis, that discussion actually needs to, there's a little bit more in depth on that. So how is clozapine dosed? So generally, we start with 12.5 for the first day, and then we increase it up 25 milligrams kind of thereafter. So you go 25 milligrams twice a day, 25 milligrams and 50 milligrams, and then so forth. And, and it's not recommended to go up more than 100 milligrams in one week, again, because of the side effects. And if you want to stop clozapine, how is it discontinued? So there's, it depends on if you're going to switch to another medication. So you would do kind of a cross taper from that standpoint. If you're doing it for a serious side effect like toxic megacolon, then you would want to stop it immediately. Otherwise, you would kind of do a, a slow taper down. You can do more than 25 milligrams as you titrate it up. You can do more than that. And earlier you mentioned the RIMS program. So how exactly is clozapine monitored? So this is important. Again, you have to go through the class on the REMS database and also... Uh, enroll your patients. You have to get a white blood cell count in A and C at baseline, and then you monitor it really continually. The first six months, you're going to do weekly WVCs and ANCs. After that, it goes to every two weeks for the next six months. And then if you're stable and your white blood cell counts above 3,500 and ANC above 2,000, then you monitor every four weeks thereafter continuously. There is a lot of deviations from this that are more in-depth that we can go into in another podcast. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. But it sounds like clozapine is a great choice for a patient who has schizophrenia, who maybe has tried at least two other antipsychotics, but still having uncontrolled symptoms. But very important to know about clozapine due to all the potential side effects, including the agranulocytosis. They have to have very frequent lab monitoring, so any potential patient needs to have transportation and ability to get regular labs drawn, or it may not be um, the best fit for them. But thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Clark. Absolutely. Thank you.